You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. All right. Welcome. Uh, I uh, want to get started this morning by saying that it is a really... Uh, it's a strange thing to live in Tyler during Advent. I mean, there was a guy with shorts on earlier. I mean, you know, the Anglican roots of our sort of landing on Plymouth Rock and we're bringing our Christian roots, you know, these people like died. Do you know what I mean? They didn't make it through the darkness of winter. But the, but the uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Advent, the seasonal meditations on the word of God and the, the presence of God made known to them through the darkness of winter uh, was something that, that caused and created and nurtured postures in people that would lean towards the light. And that's what we have in Advent. So we're stepping away from Romans today, and I hope to, I hope to deliver an Advent message, a message that encourage you, encourages you toward the light, okay? So let me start with um, a little cousin talk. Uh, I grew up with lots of cousins, and one cousin that, uh, that I want to speak about today was, he was a couple years younger than me, and if you think I'm a loose cannon... This guy's a wild man. His name's Mackenzie McCune, uh, but he goes by Mac. And they, I've always called him Big Mac uh, because he's so big and rough and tumble. And we used to love to fight, get on a trampoline, do some professional wrestling, you know, all of this kind of thing. I remember in 1985, uh, the Sugar Ray Leonard gloves were out. And you could buy the Sugar Ray Leonard gloves and go toe-to-toe with your cousin Big Mac if you wanted to. And we indeed did. And I guess Mac was prone to nosebleeds, but I accidentally hit him one time in the face and the nosebleed. And I mean, he used to beat me up all the time. But when I got him with the nosebleed and the, I was, you know, champ, you know. Uh, so I want to th- say that in 1985, I mean, it marks almost 25 25, 35 years since um, the clash of the titans right in the midst of the Cold War and Reagan's America, uh, we got uh, social commentary and encouraging uh, inspiration from none other than Sylvester Stallone with the greatest Rocky that was ever made uh, Rocky IV. This was, uh, uh, this was the shirt, the t-shirt that uh, Church's Chicken got. Go back to the t-shirt for a second. The Church's uh, Chicken t-shirt uh, that my grandmother bought a full bucket of chicken at my request, just so that we could uh, 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 buy a, one of the t-shirts so that I could wear it to school. That was it. Now, this is no Cold War communism uh, global uh, policy message. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But the point is, is that in the end, Clubber Lane from Rocky Three, we know him as Mr. T, he ended up not being such a bad guy. In the end, I think they even hugged after the, it was like, but not so with Rocky Four. Dolph Lundgren terrified me. Let me just speak to the elephant in the room. He does look a lot like me. <laughs> just want to say that. Uh, but uh, Dolph Lundgren terrified me. And you remember after he actually killed Apollo Creed. Do you remember this? They did like a kind of, it's all fun. You know, we're just going to get in the ring and have fun. And, you know, he had the real, you know, really did the, it was the James Brown coming to America or whatever this, remember that song? I mean, really big show. And the bear, the Russian, 
the man who had spent the time in the machines and the, you know, all of the uh, you know, uh, calculations of how hard he threw a punch and all this and that, uh, he decimated Apollo Creed, setting up a very harsh winter for Rocky, right? Remember, he went to the, uh, you know, the, the real 80s inspirational montage, and he's like doing all the stuff in the snow and, you know, doing that. You remember the workout? Do you remember the workout? I mean, Rocky got ready to see Ivan Drago. And when he stepped into the ring with Ivan Drago, Ivan, and he gives him that, he's like, I'm here, you know, I'm ready to fight. You know, and he, and he does, the, uh, he does the, the punching of the gloves, you know, the, just the, this, the, 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 the mandatory kind of, hey, here we go, let's, let's have a good clean fight. Ivan Drago goes, zvoom! And what does he say? I must break you. Like, I am prepared, my whole life is prepared to break you. Now, I want to talk about the greatest cousin ever born. Then we'll get back to boxing. John the Baptist was born to break you. John the Baptist was born to break you. The greatest cousin ever born was the true and better Ivan Drago. Ha! John the Baptist was born that you would be broken. And even in his birth, he was breaking things. So we're going to read some scripture. I'm going to read a portion. Then I'm going to back up and read the backstory. And then we're, going to, then we're going to really talk about the portion of Luke 1 that has really spoken to my heart uh, over the past couple of weeks. Okay, so we're going to start in Luke 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they, they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called, what he wanted the boy to be called. And he asked for writing tablets, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered... And immediately his mouth, this is uh, Zechariah's mouth, was open, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke blessing to God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be called? Call, will this child be? For the Lord of for the, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for his, he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit from us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness." and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, 
and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now there's a reason, but I want to go back and read the backstory because I think it'll help you make sense of just what happened. So let's go back to Luke 1, uh, verse 5, and I'm going to read the backstory. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. No one else is there, guys. Okay, this is just him inside of the Holy of, of Holies burning the incense. And an angel appears to him and says, and Zachari- it says, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Of course, would you like to see an angel? That's not just like your buddy showing up. <laughs> I mean, an angel is something else completely. And Zechariah, uh, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. You ever notice how often they say, do not be afraid? They always have to preface that. Like, can we get the fear out of the way so I can tell you what you need to hear? <laughs> do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife's advanced in many years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Where's this guy at? I thought he was just going in to burn some incense. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. Nightmare of nightmares if I couldn't speak. Can I just say that? You all know me well enough. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Okay, here we go. This is going to be good. I love that, that, they, that they play deep water, drown me in your deep water. I also like that, that sunny red. You know, if you, if you think you're walking in the light, but you're sinning, you're actually living in darkness. Don't be fooled, okay? This Advent season, we are here to receive the truth that the truth might set us free. 
So the big idea is that when God is waiting, remember this is after the intertestamental period of 30 years, of 300, 300 years, you know, the old end of the Old Testament where Malachi prophesies, you heard it tucked in to the scripture there. Malachi prophesies, prophesies before that grateful day. This is the, the final words, go check it out. The final words in the Old Testament, before that grateful day, I will send the prophet Elijah to reconnect the hearts of folk. The hearts of fathers, with, it sounded like I was about to cry there. Actually, I just got choked up. Uh, to, to, to reconnect the hearts of fathers with the hearts of their children. Now, this is heavy, heavy, heavy. What is prophesied then comes to pass, and it's prophesied by the angel Gabriel about John. And John is going to be that one in the wilderness who will prepare the way for the Lord. The big idea this morning I want to start with is that the birth of the law is dangerous. The birth of the law is dangerous. It threatens the old life, but it prepares the way for the new life. And this is a reality you must receive. You must receive the birth of the law as surely in that it would, as surely as you must prepare the birth, prepare yourself for the birth of grace, the birth of Jesus. It's it's a successive. There's a reason that 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 Jesus was the younger cousin. There's a reason that John had to come first because John would prepare the way for the Lord. And remember, Jesus, when he comes, when he sees John out baptizing in the wilderness, he says, there is not a greater man that has ever been born than this guy right here. Straight from Jesus' mouth, giving props to the greatest cousin ever born, okay? So this is John the Baptist here. And we know this. We know that the law is dangerous. Bobby Fuller Four, the Bobby Fully Four, say that fast five, five times. The Bobby Fuller Four knew that when he said, I fought the law and the law won. The law wins every time. The law wins every time because you can't fulfill it. There's only one time when it was overcome. Amen? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Zechariah obeyed God. Remember it said Zechariah and Elizabeth were very righteous. They obeyed God, but... When the angel of the Lord appeared, he wanted to offer his own concerns. How can I be sure about this, God? <laughs> and then, shut up. <laughs> shut your mouth for nine months or more. Don't speak, because the truth is, is that a, wor a voice worth listening to only appears after God shuts you up for a while. Amen. A voice worth listening to only appears after God shuts you up for a while. And anything that I say today, I want you to know that I am speaking first and foremost to myself, not you. You come after, and that's the Lord's work on you. I'm speaking truth to myself right now because I need to hear this. A voice worth listening to only appears after God shuts you up for a while. Let me tell you a little personal testimony. I used to be a rock star. Now, I say that not on the grand scale, but relative to where I was living, and Megan bears testimony to this, I used to kick it out. I'm talking about leather pants, no shirt, whiskey, guitar, rock. You know what I mean? Like, I got in front of people and lost my mind, and they liked it. I met Megan, and I moved to New York City, and I did not play music. I was carried out of the room in a way, like this wild man. So, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I became a butler in, a, in an investment banking firm where I, I had to wear a bow tie, it was ridiculous, and serve uh, 
hedge fund managers who made more, more money than I could uh, imagine ever having. And yet, for those six years, I was able to provide insurance and we were able to make it in a city where, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But I didn't make it through kicking out the jams. I made it through service. And God used that time to shut me up that he might then give me a voice worth listening to. Okay. Now I'm not saying that it's always that way, but I mean, I, I feel like that's a, that's a part of the overall thing that grace is the big picture. Unless you, lest you start to think that, that because of Zechariah's goodness, God moved because of Zechariah's righteousness, God moves. No, in fact, Zechariah pumps the brakes when the angel appears and gets shut up. God moves in spite of you, which ought to be a comforting message. Because if you think if it's up to me, or if it's up, to, what does he always say? If it's up to you, if, it's, if it is to be, it's up to me. I'm trying to do Eric's thing here. That's no good. But I mean, it's true, but it's, it's his thing. If it's up to me, if it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. That's not going to get you anywhere, but dejected and worn out. So let's talk here. Let's go back through this beginning at 57 and 58. I want to start with where we pick the story up with the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced. Make no mistake, the evangelist Luke, him who is evangelizing, bringing the good news through his gospel, the evangelist Luke loves women. He loves women. Women who, if found in adultery to men, would, could be stoned in the streets. Women who flee in the night to escape the assumption that they are pregnant out of wedlock. Women who are disgraced when they are barren, thought to have no purpose. Women who can't even name their own children. In this context, the fact that she had finally given birth to a child meant that she had value. Because if you were barren in those days, you, you have nothing to give us here. Not only that, they, the, the community around her sees that, she's, that God has shown mercy because he didn't give her a girl. He gave her a boy. This is, a, this is patriarchy run amok. Look at this. Uh, the fact that she didn't die in the, in the dangerous business of childbirth, also evidence of God's mercy to her. Look, blessing is enjoyed by individuals, but God's work has social ramifications. The whole community can acknowledge, oh, in our context, God was very good to that woman. Now he waited for a very long time, but look, now she's pregnant and it's with a boy. 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Can we go into 60 there? But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. I love this. Out, I think it's uh, Walter Molino, an Italian comic artist and illustrator. I don't know if you can see this, but I, I thought about this protecting the children. She says, no, he shall be called John. Now, I don't know what kind of information that, uh, that Elizabeth had other than having, having, been, having heard from, from the angels and understanding what had gone down, but it seems to me that there's a protection here. No, no, he's not gonna be called Zechariah. Like, if he had been, then, then, then we'd be devoured. Or, it's almost like she's pulling him out of the way, do you know, of, of impending death. No, this John shall be set apart. And it starts with his circumcision, but look here. The same people 
that would cut off the tip of his penis will cut off his head later. That's coming, okay? The same people. The, you know, uh, let me see here. Let me just make sure I don't get it. Yeah, John must be called a new name. How often are we called new? We see throughout the Bible, the new name. Names have power. John must be called a new, ta- new name for he is to be cut off from the old order of things in order to usher in the new. Names matter to God because words matter to God. God moves through words, through speaking. That's why Jesus is called the word made flesh. My name, Matthew, gift of God. Can we get an amen? Um, I literally believe, I literally believe that I am God's gift to you and to my wife and to my children. I'm not saying it's the gift they would have chosen. But I am God's gift nonetheless. Words matter. Sidebar here. The idea that I would have a son, I have two daughters for which I am extremely grateful, but should I have had a son, it wouldn't bother me at all if you called him Matthew Jr. I mean, Zechariah, this is a hell of a thing for Zechariah to have to uh, endure, right? Because maybe they would have, if not my name, Zechariah, you should definitely be named uh, after my grandfather. You know how people do this. I'm not saying you shouldn't decide for yourself. But remember, names matter. Find out what your grandfather did before you, <laughs> before you name your kid that, over after him. Uh, you, you know, there might be some hidden evil tucked in there you got to be careful about. Uh, but, but I want to say that, um, uh, that Zachariah did, a, ma- did, a, did, a, did a, 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 a mighty thing in essentially allowing his wife to not choose his name, to be carried on through the life of his son. This is, an, there's, there's an upending here of what I would call, and we, we, we hear about this a lot, a, a patriarchal oppression, that the men know best. Look what's going to happen now. It's 61. And they said to her, remember, she said, no, his name shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by that name. It's like a Barney Fife. What's going on here? Huh? trying to step outside of the way things are done. Oh, no, 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 no. We got to keep things the way they are. Remember, his, this Zechariah is one of, the, well, he's in the, he's one of the high priests. He's not the high priest, but he's in the temple doing all of the religious things that he ought, carrying on the good name of the family, but he pumps the brakes. He doesn't listen to don't be afraid. When, when Gabriel tells him the word of God, he says, how can I know if that's really going to happen? And he gets shut up. For God to be heard, sometimes the religious chatter needs to be silenced. Because God's trying to do a new thing. He's wanting vitality. He's wanting freedom. He's wanting hope. And he's wanting people alive, alive to his possibility, his pregnant possibility in your life. But you want to just do your Bible studies and just uh, do things the way they've always been done and make sure that nobody steps outside of the line, nobody gets too wild. Come on. John was a wild man. We know that he was. And he's meant to upend the order of the old things that he might usher in and prepare the way for the new. 62. And they made signs to his father. They can't talk to him, you know, because he's mute. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Well, he got his mind right, didn't he? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. Hmm, that's amazing. Also, 
It's interesting here that he asks for writing tablets. Who else had writing tablets to write God's word? Moses. Okay, so what we have in John is the, not the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, but he's pointing to, this whole story points to who else, was, who else couldn't get pregnant? Abraham, the father of the faith, couldn't get pregnant. And here we have it in the New Testament. It's like God is just upending, and, and upending the old by, by, in a way, bringing in the old and fulfilling it. That's what's happening in John. So, he's, so they say, your woman's a little outside the lines. You need to go talk to her. Let's see what the men have to say about this. It's a throwback to the lawgiver law Moses. 64 and 66. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Shut up for a while, and then God may give you something to say. Amen. And fears came all the way, came on all their neighbor. Fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. I mean, this is some really, really powerful, mystical, strange stuff. Can you imagine if we said, yeah, Nathan, Nathan Atkinson, man, he was talking. I've known him for, you know, 20 years and he can't speak. He just can't speak. And what's more, God did this to the man who was the priest. Shut up, priests. Shut up, religious chatter. I'm doing a new thing. I'm upending the old. And then he sings blessing. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Notice he doesn't, he doesn't start with how awesome the child is. Yes, awesome, the, the child. No, no, he, gets, he's, he now understands the successive nature. First, blessing be to God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people, pregnant in all of God's little kept promises is the bigger and more transformational knowledge that God is a promise keeper. And we're not, but God is. And now, do you see how, do you see how God, through this process of this mystical story, has taken Zechariah, this high priest, and given him, there's gnosis, there's knowledge, and then there's epinosis, which is experiential knowledge. God has taken Zechariah, and he has given him epinosis of the Abrahamic covenant. He made a little Abraham of Zechariah, and he said, Yes, your wife's old. Yes, you, you, she can't have children, but I am a promise keeper. And so now he has this epinosis brand new so that he can speak this blessing. Men, to have a voice to bless your children and not be just a clanging gong provoking them to anger, you must first hear from God. Hear from God and he doesn't stop speaking, believe this. He is the word he has spoken to us in Jesus. Listen to him, both in the baptism and in the transfiguration, we're gonna hear God say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen, listen to him. 
and you can't talk and listen at the same time. Fathers, hearing from him and hearing him, you will become a microcosmic instrument of God's macrocosmic reconciliation. Want to join this? Want to be involved in the actual power of God this side of eternity? Listen. Hear the law. Let it hit you. Receive it this Advent. It comes first. It's the setup. It's the predicament. It's the first step. John had to be born first. But notice, joy comes in the morning. There's pregnant blessing. It's somehow dependent on us first hearing and receiving God's word. If it's new, guys, if, if God's word is new to you, hear it. If it's not what you expected, hear it. If it upends all of the order in your life, by all means, hear it because you're probably going the wrong direction. We are tied to a body of death. We looked at this last week with Romans 7. It is obvious that as sinful men, we trend toward tyrannical oppression of the weaker vessel. In the light of this Me Too movement, and I don't want to get too ideological here, but I do want to say something, that there is an upending of the patriarchy and God is saying, I am for the outcast. And in this instance, the outcast is women. I love them. I draw them close to me. I am close to them. And I was talking to a buddy in New York City the other day, and he said, he said, man, I really think that this is a time of listening for the Christian man. How do we make sense of this? Because I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you, but not too specifically honest. When I was 18 or 19 or 20, I was all about the tyrannical oppression of the opposite sex in order to get what I wanted. I needed to be born again. For God to be heard, the religious chatter needs to be silenced. Jesus looked out at the crowds in Matthew, what was that, Matthew 9, 36. He looked out at the crowds and he, he heard them, he saw them, and his heart went out to them. Literally, it's that, his, that he felt for them. His heart was with them. And why? It says because they were hurting, they were helpless, they were helpless, and they were harassed. Who were they harassed by? All the religious serious people that are, that are, in, that are have granted into the community. All the men, all of the, the people who had their act together, who didn't have a touch of leprosy. All of those, but he, and they are there so, that, so that the people are not only hurting and they're not only far from God, but they're also harassed by this religious chatter that seems to never stop. Religion is dead now that Jesus is alive. You can't re-legion, you can't tie back to God. You'll never be able to. You have to give up the ghost, receive death, receive the law, that then you might receive the life that is coming. 72. Zechariah, I see, 72, uh, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Zechariah sees in the birth of his son his tethering to humanity and humanity's longing for deliverance from the brokenness of this world. Every parent knows the latent hope that somehow that with this child things will be different right? 
But remember, Zechariah is speaking for God here. So this is like a sanctified hope. He's not talking about something that might happen. He's using, he's allowing the word of God to be spoken through him to say something that cannot not happen. It definitely will happen. This is, this is John the Baptist who will prepare the way for the Lord. Now we go back and we think about what Zechariah's initial tendency was when he was told about all of these things from Gabriel. And I have to tell you that from what I've sort of teased from this is you just can't be sure of what God's doing. You can't. Yes, some good things are happening, but once you start looking into them, because they weren't meant for you to understand. What is it? I think it's Psalm 131. It says, I don't, I don't seek things that are too lofty for me, but my mind is at, at ease and at peace, do you know? Like, oh Lord, put your, or, 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 oh Israel, put your, put your hope in the Lord forevermore. It's like, my mind, is, my, my mind is spirit or quieted. I don't try to look into the things. You can't be sure of what God's doing, but you can be sure that God is doing something. You can be sure that God is doing something. I love this 74, this really hit me too. That we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear. How can you really serve? Is it really service if it's fear-based? Does the law really have, can, can the law really make your heart love? Can the law really create something out of nothing? No, it can't. You can't be scared straight. That cannot happen. That's not the way it works. This is incidentally one of my favorite skits on Saturday Night Live. And as a man, I am recommending it. As a pastor, you may not watch it. Um, <clears throat> enable us to serve him without fear. True service is enabled, not scared straight. Because it's the kindness of God that leads to and the kindness of God is shown us in the face of Christ Jesus, with whom, without whom we are hopeless. 75, God in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, God is speaking in your homes, but you're not listening so regularly. Why? Because you wanna be, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? And this is when God will silence you. When you try to take control, God has to silence you so that he can then speak through you. The mouth of God is unleashed in me when I understand my ineptitude. The mouth of God is unleashed in me when I understand my ineptitude. The absurdity, hear this, the absurdity of my priesthood. The absurdity that I am a priest of my home, that I am a reconciler, that I am in Christ. All those things are absolutely ridiculous, especially the part about me being a priest in my home because if there was ever a fool priest, it's me. And I did not mean F-U-L-L, F-U-L, yeah, that's full. I meant F-O-O-L, fool priest. But this is it. But when I understand my ineptitude, when I receive the birth of the law, when I receive John, I recognize that I cannot and that he can. I, John has prepared, the law prepares a way, the law prepares a way for me to receive grace. 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet 
of the Most High. Can you imagine saying this to your son? Or even better, can you imagine hearing this from your father? I mean, all my life, I think I've been searching for a blessing from my father. And sometimes he has the words to put it together, but sometimes he just doesn't. But I'll tell you this, even when he does his very best, it's not enough. It's not enough because I need a blessing from someone who has real authority. I need a blessing from God. And who is Zechariah speaking here? No, no, no. Zechariah has been shut up. God's speaking here and he's speaking through his silenced prophet, Zechariah in this case, is he not? What a blessing. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Prepare his ways. The blessing of this son by the father is the desire of my heart. And, what, and we look at this to prepare his ways. This is like what you, what you don't get about this, or maybe you do, or maybe you're starting to get what I'm, where I'm trying to go, is that this is the greatest alley-oop that has ever occurred. I mean, this is the greatest baton pass. This is the ultimate high five, okay, from God in his word, in his law, to God in his grace and in his giving up power and him, him showing us what love really is like. That he is, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the unseen God. John is the greatest cousin giving the greatest high five to the son of God. John, I've learned through looking at this Bruner commentary that we've been looking at, John is the embodiment of old covenant law. And when you, talk, when, you, when, you, when you read the Old Testament and you see them talking about, I love the law. David always says, I love the law. And he uses words that, that he's, he's passionate about the law. And guys, he can't be faulted for that because guess what? It was the clearest reality that God had shown him at the time. But we got a new thing. We got a new thing. So don't so know this. John is the old, the old covenant law, but Jesus is the new covenant law the new covenant grace. And he has upended the old. It doesn't mean that the law doesn't have a very necessary application in your life. It does prepare the way, but it does not bring new life. It kills. What does prepare mean? Have you ever prepared for a party? You ever prepared? I think of also like preparing of like on the runway, you know, like, like as, a, as a plane is coming in or as, you know, or preparing the way, showing the way, leading that which is to come. 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Wow, St. Paul's beautiful language flows from his integrity. When St. Paul writes, uh, uh, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Real quickly, Paul, Roman citizen, Jewish ancestry, Greek speaking. Okay, real quick. Light was what the Jews were concerned with, light in the darkness. Knowledge was what the Greeks were concerned with. And finally, glory of God, the glory of Rome. It's what the Romans were concerned with. In this quick little verse, St. Paul ties up all of the modern world saying they all find their tethering 
The quintessential, what, there are four elements? Quintessential is the fifth element. That is the thing that ties them all together. Light, knowledge, and glory, all tied together in the face of Jesus Christ. That's it. The knowledge of salvation. That's what we need. It's here. I'm prepared the way for us to hear it. Mercy, which is the glory of God. Let's do 78 real quick. I'm going to start, start putting the gas on here. Because of the tender mercy of our God. What is, what is tender mercy but the very evidence that we are loved? Mercy, which is the glory of God. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, he's, Hosea writes. Light shines in the darkness. The only reason we have... No, I already spoke about that. 79. To give light in, to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Man, those people are bummed. Who sits in darkness and in the shadow of death? Well, you know, let's be honest. We all do sometimes. We all do sometimes. And that's why we have to reach for the light. Look at this. Weakness. This is Jean Vignet. Weakness carries with it a secret power. The care and the trust that flow from weakness can open up the heart. The one who is weaker can call forth powers of love in the one who is stronger. You don't think that God's, you don't think that God, that, 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 that God's power is made perfect in our weakness? Just read that. Think through about, think through that. It's, it's powerful. The law presents a darkness that cannot be ignored. But oh, how the sad state of humanity is fraught with people trying to ignore that darkness exists. We all have an inner Ike Clanton. You guys know Ike Clanton from Tombstone? Your inner Ike Clanton needs to receive the birth of John. Listen here, Mr. Kansas City law dog. Law don't go around here, savvy. Well, we know that Ike Clanton ends up with a bullet in his head. So law evidently does go around here. Uh, so here's the problem. We have three. The start. You can't, put law, you can't put the law to death. You can't put the law to death. Now that might maybe said a better way. You can't ignore the law. You can't put the law to death because it's meant. It's designed to kill you. It's designed to show you your powerlessness. It's designed to set you up and disorient you in such a way where you can finally, you know, be shut up or put to sleep and you can finally receive the love of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you start, this is the start, this is step one as Christians. We think we can serve the law because we love God or rather we love the way we feel when for a while we think we are up to the law's demands. That's called a high anthropology, which leads to a low Christology. Uh, inflated self, a very low view of my need for salvation. So the problem is, it's not a law of love. Even though David loved the law, the law doesn't love David. The law doesn't love David. The law is trying to kill David. It's diagnostic only, the law. It's zero power in it. And there's an inevitable end. We kill the God of love by trying to foolishly serve the law of God. Didn't they do that? Didn't we do that with Jesus on a cross? By trying to, by trying to fulfill the law down to the very end, we ended up putting the love of God on a cross and killing him. Of course, we know that he's sovereign, so he upended that as well. Okay, here we go. Back to boxing. And I'm going to finish up. Thank you for bearing with me. 
I have a little bit of a John the Baptist in me. A little bit of a wild man. But I want to be focused for this, this last bit here. God has presented you the cross. He's presented you the cross because what I like to think of is even though the cross goes like this, turn it this way and it's actually X marks the spot. That means wherever you are, there's the cross. When, when, when Jesus says, pick up your cross and die daily, daily, that means wherever you are, there's the cross. X marks the spot. You need the cross. The old man, Romans 7, needs to die. You need the cross today. You'll need the cross tomorrow and the next day and the next day because it's through the cross that you get rebirth. God uses this classic combination to take you out, to silence you, that he might then speak through you and raise you to newness of life. If you will get in the ring, if you will just get in the ring, and here's how. God's word is through the child's birth, John. John gave you the way to think about this. These are literally the words you say when you are in the ring, which I'm going to be honest, you're never not in the ring. You say, he must increase and I must decrease. He is showing you the way to death so that Jesus can show you life. Receive him this Advent. Finally, I want to talk some boxing language. There's a classic combination called the one-two punch. Back, back to Ivan Drago, Rocky, a bit here, so reset your minds. In boxing, the one-two combo is the name given to the combination consisting of two common punches found in boxing. A jab thrown with the lead hand followed by another punch thrown with the backhand. In boxing parlance, fundamental punches are commonly assigned numbers by trainers. One, one, two. One, one, two. Ah. In one, two combo, the objective is to get in range and then land the power punch. Ah. Oh. In this situation, both the jab and the power punch have different purposes. Naturally, the boxing stance has the lead hand in front closest to the other boxer, closest to the opponent, while the dominant hand is in the back, further from the opponent, and then when the jab readies, because of the position of the body, the rotation of the hips, and the power of the back leg, what is the second punch called? The cross. It's the cross. The cross is the second. It's the knockout punch. And Jesus is, has been prepared to come and deliver the cross to you, delivered unto the cross so that you might receive the newness of life. For Christians who receive Jesus this Advent, they receive the full power of death. Excuse me. I want to say that again because I said it wrong. For Christians who receive John this Advent, they receive the full power of death in order that they might receive the power of life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to Aerosmith in the Dream On classic song, you've got to lose to know how to win. It's not a real chipper message. I'll go ahead and be honest with you. It's not a get back out there and try harder message. It is receive 
your inability so that God's power can be made possible through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you had a plan for all of us, all of us individually and all of us corporately. You have a perfect plan. And it's not over. It's not finished in one sense, and in another sense it is finished. We ask you this Advent season that as we reach for the light, we recognize that it is your Holy Spirit within us causing us to look and listen and helping us to not be afraid any longer. Lord, we thank you for your love and the hope that you've given us this Advent season. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.